I'm going to guess, I don't want to offend you at all, but I'm going to guess it slipped right past you. This week was a big day, and you probably missed it. Wednesday, October 22nd, was International Caps Lock Day. Did anybody know that? Do you know what caps lock is? That key on your keyboard that if you push it, then everything comes out in capital letters? There's a day for that. That's the world we live in, friends. The end is near. Caps Lock Day is a celebration of life and forever screaming text for all eternity and love. Do you know people who type everything in caps lock? That every text message, every email, every Facebook post, they're screaming at you for no good reason. Today, for some of you, is a caps lock sermon. It's, it's a warning. It's pointed. And just to set the stage, it's heavy. God's word speaks to us about real life situations in our real lives. And today, as we get to Joshua chapter 7, this is one of them. Last week was Joshua chapter 6, the battle of Jericho. And the walls came a-tumbling down. And it's victory, and it's life, and it's exciting, and it's thrilling And this is a day when we get to Joshua chapter 7 where the spotlight kind of gets turned in a different way. We look at life probably in a much more personal and maybe even painful way. And God's word does something powerful in our lives if we will allow it to. So today is a a caps lock sermon. I hope that you will allow your hearts to be open. We're going to walk through Joshua chapter 7. We're going to look at this story. And as we do, I want to point out just some some thoughts along the way that are going to help us. And then we'll see how we can apply it to our lives today. So let's jump right in. Joshua chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. If you remember, last week the Israelites' tremendous victory at Jericho walled city total victory because god allowed something miraculous to happen very next chapter verse 1 joshua chapter 7 but the israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things achan son of carmi son of zimri the son of zerah of the tribe of judah imagine that on your driver's license right <laughs> took some of them so the lord's anger burned Against Israel. Do you remember we talked last week that there were certain things in Jericho that God said, leave that there. Don't touch it. Burn everything. Now the silver, the gold, those things, he says, take those, bring those into my treasury. If they have value, we're going to take them and we're going to use them in the Lord's house. The other things, the idols, the valuable things, the precious things, the things that have great value to the Canaanites here in Jericho, leave those things there and let them be burned with the city, God said. He said they are devoted to me. As they burned them, that was an act of worship. They were supposed to destroy everything. But this dude, Achan, chose to take some of it with him. There is one theme in this whole chapter. And I'm just going to lay it out there before we get to any of the rest of the story. There's one thought that we see as we walk through this whole chapter. And it's this. Deal with sin or sin will deal with you. Deal with sin or sin will deal with you. With you. As is common at times when you read through the Old Testament, the Old Testament authors will throw a hint out there to you. They're going to set the stage. They're going to say, Achan did a bad thing. He disobeyed God. Now let me tell you the rest of the story. Here's the point. Deal with sin or sin will deal with you. Here's how it happened. 
Joshua chapter 7, verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Remember they just had this great victory in Jericho? So the spies come back and say, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Did you notice this? Joshua, who's a brilliant military strategist, we don't deny this, but they're on a roll now, right? Jericho, that was cake. Here's Ai. It's nothing. We can take this little nothing of a town. We can go out there and handle this. And so he sends out spies to handle it. They're rolling in the victory that they've had. But you notice that nowhere here does it say that they consulted of the Lord. Nowhere here does they ask God for help. And we must be cautious of self-confidence in times of spiritual victory. Just a quick thought. Some of the, the, the most important times for us to be on our guard spiritually is when we're coming off a mountaintop of spiritual heights. Have you found that to be true? When I'm basking in victory, maybe when I'm most susceptible to defeat. So we must be cautious of self-confidence in times of spiritual victory. And so this is where they find themselves. And so they go out, and 36 of them are killed. Now, out of 3,000, that's, that's really not that big of a number. Why do they freak out as a result of this? Because up to this point, God had been with them, right? God had given them miraculous victory. And now when they go up against this puny little town, they're challenged? What does this mean? So watch Joshua's response. Joshua chapter 7, verse 6. Joshua chapter 7, verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same thing and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that that, that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Joshua just became a half glass empty kind of guy, right? What did God say to him? He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Are those the words of someone who is not afraid? No, they're filled with fear. Are those the words of someone who's not discouraged? Nah, he's, he's pretty discouraged. He's pretty messed up here. And he had a defeat that put him way back, even in the midst of what he thought he was doing for God. He found himself in a place that he did not expect to be. And I want to challenge you with just this, this quick thought. I know we're running through this, but just grasp this thought. Do not let today's defeat rob you of tomorrow's victory. Joshua was ready to give up. And there's times when, when we mess up. There's times when we're defeated. Sometimes by our own doing. Sometimes by the situation around us. Sometimes by other people's responses. We must be careful not to let today's defeat 
rob us of tomorrow's victory. This is what God wants Joshua to see. So Joshua and the leaders are down on their faces. They've torn their clothes. They've sprinkled ashes on themselves. These are all Old Testament practices, ancient Near Eastern practices of of contrition, of sorrow, of grief. And God shows up and watch God's reply. Verse 10 of Joshua chapter 7. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Isn't that a great response? I had a, I had a friend in college who was the RA. He was supposed to care for people. I've told this story before. And a guy came knocking on his door the very first day of school and said, I got all these problems with my room. And he went on and on and on and on and on about his problems. And my friend looked at him, stood back and said, ah, quit your crying and just slammed the door in his face. Not a very loving response, but it was the one that guy needed to hear because everything that guy was complaining about was things he should have just taken care of for himself. And my friend knew sometimes what you needed to hear were the words, Quit your crying. Did you hear what God said here? He said, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Which in the Hebrew means, quit your crying. (laughs) Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. Listen to this. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Do you remember there were things they were supposed to destroy? But this one guy took some of it. Achan, back in verse 1. And God says, the reason things aren't working right is because there's something that needs to be done. You know, oftentimes we, we come to God and we, we pray and we beg and we plead and we ask him for help. And I think there's times when God wants to say to us, would you, would you just quit your crying and do what you know to do? Listen to this. Sometimes, sometimes, when you know what you should do, stop praying and do something. <laughs> there are times, this sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But there's times when God would say to you, Would you stop praying and be obedient? Would you stop praying and do what I've already told you to do? Because I'm here, I'm with you, but take care of what's in front of you first. Biblical principle. There are times when it's right for us to stop praying and do what we know we need to do. So God goes on to give them more instructions. Joshua chapter 7, verse 13. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe, and the tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan, and the clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family, and the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man, and whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So God says, here's the instructions. We've got to ferret out what's going on here. We're going to use the spiritual principle of a process of elimination. We're going to find out where the source of this problem is. And then we're going to deal with it. And there's such an interesting thing here because in front of them was this opportunity to respond. God says to them, go out 
and consecrate yourselves. Someone holy is about to do something holy, so you must be holy. Take care of yourselves. There's devoted things among you. And I can't help but read here that in the heart of God, God is saying, so if it's you, before tomorrow morning, take care of it. Before you get busted, take care of it for yourself. You're going to hear this in God's words to Achan here in just a moment, that we honor God with honest confession. I think sometimes we fear God and what might happen if we confess our sins. But the truth is we honor God with our honest confession. So watch what happens next. Joshua chapter 7 verse 16. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. Now imagine this. You know that this little town hall meeting is all about devoted things, right? And so it can stand in there. And he knows what he's got. He knows what he did. And he knows that it's about the devoted things. He's heard the the memo that's been going around that they're going to ferret out. They're going to find out who it was that took it. And so they begin and they start choosing tribes and they choose the tribe of Judah. Now, how was this chosen? It may have been by casting lots. It was some way in which God was um, in in a very objective way leading the people to find out who it was. But Achan's standing there and he's probably a little nervous. Wouldn't you be? You ever been to the principal's office? And he's standing there. And it's kind of like when you're playing bingo. You ever played bingo? Not in church, of course. But you know what I mean? And and Joshua says, it's in the tribe of Judah. And Achan's like, oh man, that's a one in 12 chance. Now what? The clans of Judah came forward. And the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. How do you think Achan's feeling now? Have you ever broke out into a cold sweat? (laughs) Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, it is true. Listen to what he says here. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. What Achan gives us a little insight to there is that there's this deadly progression that happens with sin. Do you hear what he said? I saw it, and then I coveted it, so I took it, and then I hid it. Sin has a deadly progression. Let's, let's identify it so that we can recognize it. When we recognize sin's deadly progression, it's this. I saw, I desired, I acted, I hid. I saw it. And as I saw it, I became aware of it. It's not always seeing. Sometimes it's hearing. Sometimes it's just thinking. But it's that moment of awareness where we go, hmm. And then we desire it. He says, I coveted that robe that was from Babylon. I wanted that silver and that gold. If you were to put a value on that silver and that gold, most likely it had the value of a lifetime's worth of wages. He'd have been set forever. He never could have done anything with it. There were no pawn shops in the promised land. But he wanted it. He desired it. And so he acted. He took it. 
He took the step. See that, that process of sin. I saw it and then I wanted it. So I did something. I acted. And then the shame comes and so I hid it. That whole process, if you think about it, is as old as time itself. Do you remember Adam and Eve? Do you remember the garden? Listen to this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, it was desirable. She desired it, so she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, troublemaker, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, this is as old as time itself. This issue of sin's process and how it works in us and we all fall prey to it. We all deal with it. We all struggle with it. There's this inherent tendency in us to want to cover up. There's this inherent tendency in us to want to make things right, to make ourselves look good, to push this thing aside. Sin has this deadly process that takes place. Great book that I just finished reading on, on taking care of the spiritual side of your life. It's called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. I would highly recommend it. Great book, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. In his book, he talks about a book that he read on the subject. In fact, the title of the book is just Dishonesty. And Ortberg talks about this book. And he says that the author in Dishonesty gives this uh, um, example of how dishonesty plays out in our lives. Listen to this. The author said, over the course of many years of teaching... I have noticed that there typically seems to be a rash of deaths dying among students' relatives at the end of the semester. Do you hear that? That oftentimes students have relatives that die at the end of a semester. It happens mostly in the week before the final exams and before papers are due. Isn't that a coincidence? Guess which relative most often dies? Grandma. Yeah. Mike Adams, a professor at Eastern Connecticut State University, has done research on this. He has shown that grandmothers are 10 times more likely to die before a midterm and 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. (laughs) Worse, grandmothers of students who are not doing well in class are even at a higher risk. Students who are failing are 50 times more likely to lose grandma than non-failing students. So here's Ortberg's conclusion. It turns out that the greatest predictor of mortality among senior citizens in our day ends up being their grandchildren's GPA. <laughs> the moral of all this is if you are a grandparent, do not let your children go to co- your grandchildren go to college. It'll kill you, especially if he or she is intellectually challenged. It's in us all. We want to hide it. What happens to Achan is what happens to us. Pastor Bill, can I, can I see that for a moment? We don't have tents in our day and time, but this, this analogy kind of works out for us. We have a tendency to want to take something and just... You have a rug in your home, don't you? Can I see that? We have this tendency, thanks Pastor Bill, to look at the things that we don't want to deal with and what is the most convenient thing to do. It's simply to sweep it, we just put it under the rug. You don't have a tent, but you got a rug. And if I came over to your house and saw the area rug in your dining room or living room and got down on my hands and knees and started to lift it up, how would you feel? It'd be awkward. 
Because you really don't want anyone looking at what's there. It's none of their business. It's not for them to see. We have a tendency to take things and to sweep it under the rug. Now look, I'm not talking about the Romans 8.1 stuff. What's Romans 8.1 tells us? It, it tells us that if we are in Christ Jesus, then there is therefore no longer any condemnation for us, right? If God has forgiven something, is it forgiven? Yeah, Psalm 103 says he takes those sins, he gives us forgiveness, and he casts them as far as the east is from the west. So I'm not talking about those sins in your past that you've dealt with between you and God. I'm talking about those Jericho things that you keep with you. The things that God has given you victory over, the things that you should have left behind, but you hang on to those things. The unconfessed sins, the ones we keep coming back to, the things that are hidden under the rug, or inside our tent, and we hold on to those things when we should leave them behind. We value them more than we value obedience. We set them up as idols and things of worship in our lives more than striving to have a relationship with the presence of the living God. And this is where Achan found himself with a whole lot of stuff under his rug. Joshua chapter 7, verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. There it was. Before Joshua, the Israelites, and God to see. Do you think when they dropped the gold, silver, in that bathrobe he took... That God went, I didn't know that was there. No, God knows. He knows what's under your rug. He knows what you have. And here's here's just the truth. Let's, let's, Let's just be honest. We all have something hidden under our tent. Isn't that true? We all have something hidden under our tent. It's there. Whether we see it, whether we like it or not, it is there. Take a look, your, uh, a look at this, a lookture. That's a look at a picture. But if you're cramped for time, you just say a lookture. Take a lookture at this. This is a house on a golf course worth over $400,000 in, in suburban St. Louis. Did anybody see this in the news last week? They had to cover this house, not for a circus, although that looks like it. They completely covered the home so exterminators could come in and let off hundreds of pounds of pesticide to kill everything in the house because since the folks bought that house back in 2007, it has been infested with brown recluse spiders. Yeah, yeah, I knew that would wake you up. That would even work in in Leather's high back seats. That house, the woman who bought it, said bleed spiders from the walls. They come out of the walls, they drop out of the ceiling. An expert came through, said there's between 4,500 and 6,000 brown recluse spiders that live in that house. Yeah, they're poisonous too. Not just daddy long legs. Don't think about this when you close your eyes tonight. (laughs) If that's all right, you don't live in St. Louis. It only happens there. Um, It only happens there. It only happens there. But it's not that different from your heart. Because you and I have something hidden in our tent. There are things that we don't want anyone to know about. There are tendencies that bug us. No pun intended. I didn't mean that that bug us, but you get it. And we all have lost a battle at some point because of sin. We all have something 
that it's easy for us to sweep under the rug. I didn't really want to preach this sermon. The Jericho Victory Sermons, they're fun. Last week, when many of you came to an altar and had an experience with God, and then, even later in the week, told me about what God was doing to bring victory to your life, that's a thrill. And next week, when we get to the next part of Joshua in Joshua chapter 9, it's going to be a very practical message about how to make decisions in a biblical way. And I'm stoked to share that one because I know it's going to help you immediately in the places you are in life. But this week is tough. I, uh, honestly, all week, I just I didn't, I didn't want to preach this one. And I asked myself, why? And so I had to sit down and write down some thoughts. Let me share them with you. I didn't want to preach it because this one's personal. Because it gets under your tent and it looks under my rug. Because you see, I'm judgmental. And I have a tendency to categorize people. I put them in a box and then I seal the lid. And the truth is, you do too. And I struggle with pride. Just like you, it's easy for me to think too highly of myself, and I become the center of the universe expecting way too much to revolve around me. Just like you do. And I wrestle with lust. In fact, just like the other guys in this room, I'm susceptible to the temptations of a culture that worships the creature instead of the creator. Let me give it to you in this way. In fact, my research shows, and watch these numbers, my research shows that 93% of men wrestle with lust. 93% of men wrestle with lust. The other 7% wrestle with lying. (laughs) Probably because they're afraid that their wives, girlfriends, or mothers will find out. Why do we talk about this? Because just this week, there were multiple guys that I talked to who are wrestling with this temptation in their lives. Because just the other day, I silently busted a guy who's supposed to be a leader, take a long look over my shoulder to check out a lady as she walked away. I mention it because many of the men in this room have reached a point where they're not so sure that they can ever deal with this area of temptation in a victorious way. And I'm telling you today that you can. The Holy Spirit can help you to keep your eyes and your mind pure, but it's a daily process of allowing God to help you to take care of the things that can quickly end up under our tent in a highly physically motivated culture of sports, entertainment, and marketing. And if you think that this is a topic just for the gentleman, then you'd be mistaken. Because ladies, you're wrestling with many of these same things as our world objectifies the human body as an object of our devotion. It's a challenge that Paul identified 2,000 years ago in Romans chapter 1 and that you and I live in the tension of today. But that's not all. I'm, I'm quick to fall into a comparison trap just like you. I see the things and opportunities that others have or that they get to do and I wonder what about me? And it opens the door for discontentment and disappointment and bitterness and envy to walk right into my life. And I can get angry about trivial things. And I can have motives that are questionable. And here's the truth. I am human and I'm confronted by my humanity on a daily basis just like you. But you wouldn't know that about me. You know why? Just like I wouldn't know it about you. Because we conveniently have places inside our tents where we sweep it under the rug. Isn't that true? And when we think about these things, we're so quick to jump to sexual addiction or chemical addiction, those go-to sins that we look at. But here's the truth. Some of us are manipulative. Some of us are devious. Some of us are gossips. 
Some of us are controlling. We wrestle with envy and with jealousy and greed. We have problems with our finances and our self-image. We're gluttonous. We're lustful. We're prideful. We hold on to unforgiveness like it's a treasure. And our lives are filled with anger. And it's destroying those around us. And what do we do with it is we just take it and we sweep it under the rug. And it's in our tent And we hope that no one knows and that no one finds out. But the very first thing we talked about today was this. If you don't deal with sin, sin is going to deal with you. And we've been given victory, but we keep sneaking back into Jericho and taking those things that we were supposed to have given over to God, but we hold on to them because we think we like them. So watch what, ah, we don't think we like them. We think we love them, don't we? So watch what happens. Verse 24 of Joshua chapter 7. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua. And all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua together with all Israel took Achan son of Zerah. The silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep. His tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. And over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Achor is a play on words. It sounds like Achan, and it means trouble. Sin always leaves a price to be paid. Isn't that true? If we don't deal with it, it'll deal with us. And the truth is, sin always leaves a price to be paid. Sin will cost you your victory. Remember what God said to Joshua when he was down on his face? The reason the Israelites were defeated is because someone has sin. Sin will cost you your victory. If you don't deal with it, if you don't confess it, if you don't wrestle with it, you're going to find a place where you lose because of it. Sin will cost you your victory. Sin will also cost you your fellowship with God. What did God say? I will not be with you until. You're not going to know my presence. You're not going to fully know my help and my victory until you wrestle with this. And sin will cost you your life. It did Achan. He lost it all. And so today, we're going to go through and identify some sins. And I feel like we need to start with mommy. So if you're from mommy, would you stand up? We have some landscaping rocks in the front. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're not doing that today. But I want you to grasp this. I don't want you to miss this. This is in caps locks, friends. Sin will cost you your life. What did Paul say? He said that the wages of sin is... It's that clear. There's no doubt about it. And we can sweep it under our rugs. We can hide it as much as we want. But the wages of sin is death. But Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does anyone need stone today? Does anyone need to die today? No, here's why. The truth is sin always leaves a price to be paid. But Jesus paid the price our sins that'd be a good place to say something because we all have something under our rugs but Jesus paid the price for our sins and some of you 
are sweating. Because the Holy Spirit in the last 30 minutes or so called you out. Holy Spirit shown a spotlight on something in your life. And you said, I'm miserable here, but at least under there, nobody knows. At least under there, I don't have to deal with it. For that dude Aiken, when his came out from under his tent, he lost everything. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to work through this. You're not going to be able to handle it. Here's the truth. You don't have to pay the price for that sin because Jesus paid the price for you. Listen to this. Grasp this, that today God is not calling you out for destruction. He's drawing you in for forgiveness. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, if there is conviction that's coming to you, if you're wrestling because you know what's under the rug here today, recognize God's not calling you out for destruction. He is drawing you in for forgiveness. Do you want to know how I know? Because God's word says it. Romans chapter eight or chapter five, verse eight. Excuse me. Romans five eight. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this: while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. One more, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Do you have to die for your sins? No, because somebody did it for you. Not because you're cute. Not because you're so good. But because he loves you. He was willing to die for you. And for your pride. And for your anger. And for your lust. And for your unforgiveness. He was willing to say those things that you want to keep under your rug. I'll take care of those. I'll die for you. I will handle that for you. And our response to this story should be a a healthy dose of respect and fear for God. But shouldn't it be praise and worship to him for his sacrifice and why we shared in communion this morning? One last thought. That victory comes from confession and repentance. We won't take time to do it today. Mostly because we're out of time. But you read Joshua chapter 8 and you'll see there's a complete turnaround Because now that there's been an act where we clean some of this up in the camp, God gives them victory like they couldn't have imagined. And he even blesses them in the process when you read Joshua chapter 8. So once they confessed and they repented and that they changed things, there was victory that came. And for some of you, there's struggles in your life. And you've said, God, God, help me. And God's saying, hey, quit your crying and do something about it. I can't bless you until you take care of the stuff that's under the rug. I can't help you until you're willing to work this out. And this is where you might ask yourself, but can I? And will he? And isn't it? And how do I? And we ask all those questions. First John chapter 1, verse 9, it's this simple. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, If we say, God, here it is. Not that you didn't know it was there already. 
Lord, I'm this and I'm that. And, and I've done this and I've been there. Father, I give all that to you. I confess it before you. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, there's, there's a pain that comes when we look at things like this. It's interesting because the pain that comes to your body from both surgery and stabbing is the same. Right? But the result is very different. One just inflicts pain. The other brings healing. And if you've sensed some pain in your spirit today, if God's word has spoken conviction to you today, let me encourage you, not because your heavenly father is cruel and wants to hurt you, but because he loves you and wants to heal you, that he wants you to wrestle with these things and see his grace in your life today. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And take a good look inside. God, how are you speaking to my heart today? Lord, what's under my tent? What have I swept under the rug? That today, so very clearly, I need to confess and offer up to you. If we confess our sins in your heart before God, would you do that in this moment? Because then he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
thank you for your word that can shine a spotlight on the places in our hearts where we can be prone to, to take that and just sweep it under the rug. And so, Lord, today we rest on a promise from your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, for some of us, you have in this moment, thank you, Jesus, done a wonderful thing. For some of us, Lord, you have started a process of healing in our lives that may require further steps of repentance and confession. Lord, help us to have the courage to deal with those things that would be easier left under our tent, but if we didn't deal with them, they would eventually destroy us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks to us. We give ourselves to you today. As we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.